Coming up on Art Palace. Everybody's from somewhere. Everybody's family came to this country for some reason, and and it's a great icebreaker. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Abby Schwartz, director of the Skirball Museum in Cincinnati. How's your day been? Pretty good. Yeah. Mondays are always challenging. You go in thinking you're going to do one thing and it ends up that you do 12 other things. Yeah. No, I know So that. far, so good. I yeah. always have these days where I think, oh, this look at my day. It's wide open. Exactly. And those are the worst. They're always the worst. Any day where I think I have a lot of time and I'm like, I'm going to get so much done today. And then I go in and it is immediately like, Oh, 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 can you do this? Can you do this, 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 this? And those are like, I'm like, I was going to get so much done today. What happened? It's well, like always the worst. Yeah. Well, today, actually, the high point of the day so far was um, potato latkes in the Teller mm. Lounge of Hebrew Ooh. Union College because nice. it is the first day of Hanukkah. So, <laughs> so these greasy potato latkes followed by donuts because you're supposed to eat foods that are fried in oil right uh that uh, is like the best that yeah. is the best rule for a holiday right. ever <laughs> an excuse to eat fried exactly, foods exactly <laughs> exactly and it was all put on by the second year rabbinical students because the where i work the skirball museum is housed on the campus of hebrew union college which trains rabbis for the reform movement of judaism so the second year students were in charge of hanukkah so not only food, but a little bit of Torah study and singing and celebration. So for a Monday, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. So Hanukkah, like, I, you're going to have to totally, like, educate me probably a lot because like, <laughs> I probably mostly know what I've picked up from pop culture and things. But it's, like, kind of a newish holiday, isn't it? Or how long has it been well, around? Well, it's, it's not new. It definitely dates back to... Um, before modern history, right? <laughs> um, it's it's an ancient holiday, but it, what what you probably have picked up is that it's not it's not a major holiday. Okay, okay. It's That's a minor holiday, but it's taken on a lot more significance, right. especially since the founding of the state of Israel. Okay, it, it represents the victory of the the Maccabees, this small group of religious, very religious Jews over. Uh, the larger power at the time it was the hellenistic culture right and people were kind of assimilating and and they wanted to you know they did not want that so they sort of rose up and were able to prevail mm-hmm. and they that that victory of a smaller group over a larger power became sort of symbolic and associated with the way that israel was founded oh, okay. um and um it also has a, an interesting relationship calendar-wise to the Christmas holidays. Right. It isn't always. This this year we're pretty early. Yeah. I mean, it's always the same with a lunar calendar, but we say it's early because it, it's early in the uh, Gregorian calendar. Um, and, um, you know, it became a way to 
give presents for eight days because the holiday is an eight-day holiday uh, and to help kids who weren't celebrating Christmas maybe get over that a little bit. So like uh, have something else. Yeah. yeah have yeah. something. And, yeah. um, but it, it, um, it's, it is, it is when, when you think about the miracle, the miracle of the oil, I mean, the, the way the story goes is that when the Maccabees went to restore the synagogue and put everything back in its place because it had, there had been this, this, you know, fight, um, that there was, there's a, there's an eternal light that always a flame that's always going in a synagogue mm -hmm. and, um, the light, the oil had been spilled and there was only really enough oil to last for one day. Mm -hmm. So the story goes, but it lasted for eight. Okay. So the miracle of the oil is kind of why it's celebrated for eight days, but it's become, you know, a, a holiday of lights, a holiday of freedom, a holiday of reminding ourselves of, uh, of all of the, uh, all of the practices that we have and to protect them and to, uh, to always, even as an assimilated people, uh, we still have traditions that we want to keep. So that's kind of the way we look at it. Nice. So tell me a little bit more about the museum and how, sure. I, I guess, like, how did it get started? Okay. Well, museums get, all museums get started by somebody saying, I have this stuff and I don't want to keep it anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little bit flip, but it, it's really true. A lot of museums, I mean, yeah. Museums form when people have things that they can't keep or can't afford to keep or don't want to keep or want to throw away, but they don't want to be the ones to throw it away. So if they give it to you, then you can throw it away. <laughs> we, um, we get that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. We, we, had so, we had somebody bring us something recently, like this sort of homemade Carmen Miranda costume. Oh boy. And you know, they donated it to us and they ended up giving it to me and to the education department because right. they were like, do you want that? Like <laughs> somebody gave it to us and this letter they sent was so clearly like, I don't, want to throw it away it, right and it's like they're almost giving it to you they almost knew like we would not keep it so they're giving it to you with this like can you throw, be the person to throw exactly. this exactly so sometimes you end up with stuff that's amazing and sometimes you end up stuff with stuff that should be thrown away but the 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 real story is that um the the college where the museum is the hebrew union college jewish institute of religion was founded in 1875 and in 1912 is when the college moved from downtown to the campus that it now inhabits. And when the library was beginning, the person who oversaw the library was starting to get inquiries about things that people had that they wanted to donate. So it started with donations from the community of um, Jewish objects, could be uh, Sabbath candlesticks or a Kiddush cup that had been in their family or uh, a painting that they didn't really have any place to put. So they mm. gave it to the museum. And then over time, um, important collections were purchased um, that uh, really broadened the collection. Uh, and then in 1990, the uh, college purchased a building that was right adjacent to the campus that became the new home of the museum. So it has uh, a dedicated floor that is the permanent collection and then another floor that is for temporary shows 
and then gradually we've taken over every possible hallway, every, <laughs> every, every landing, <laughs> stairwells, you know, at, by putting art because our collection continues to grow. Uh, we were, we were the fortunate beneficiaries of the Benebrith Klutznik National Jewish Museum's collection, which had been housed in Washington, D.C., and when they closed that museum, they had hoped to build somewhere in Washington, and that never happened, so they had to really uh, transfer this collection somewhere, and in, in 2015, it came to us, so we're actively still unpacking and condition reporting and yeah. trying to get as much of it on view as possible. So it's a comprehensive collection. What are some examples? Well, we actually have in our collection the one of the jars that housed the Dead Sea Scrolls. Really? Yeah, a real the real deal. That's amazing. Yeah, um, it is amazing. And um, it's actually, there, there were several shapes that these jars were in. Most of them mm -hmm. were more plain and sort of cylindrical. This one is more bulbous and actually had a, a very interesting shaped top. There weren't a lot. The, the top, the, the cover, has been is a reproduction but the the actual jar is original so that just it's pretty blow your mind it does i mean like, there's not any dead sea scrolls in it but right but, <laughs> but still you sort of picture it like just tucked it, away in this cave where it had been for send you know so long and yeah and 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 these these shepherds were looking for sheep and trying to get them to come back and they fell into these little holes and there they were so i just i have like that thing where I, when I, I just really stop and try to like think about the timeline of really ancient objects mm -hmm. i kind of it blows my mind still so you know i'll walk by pieces we have in our collection i'll just be like oh my gosh this thing is like 6,000 years old. Exactly. And you just, I can't even like, and you try to comprehend that. I'm like, that's insane. And, <laughs> and when you see it in the context of other objects that are in this section, which are, you know, which are more utilitarian, um, you know, uh, 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 bowls and vessels for eat, that you ate and drank from or prepared food on, um, mortars and pestles and and grinding instruments and you know and you really have a sense of the level of sophistication of of these societies it's it is it's very powerful so the story isn't really linear because we start the museum with 19th century immigration right and uh i used to think that was weird because i've been there five five and a half years mm -hmm. i mean i've 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 known about the museum all the 40 years i've lived in cincinnati but I didn't really think about the installation and well, why is it starting in the 19th century? Well, the reason it starts in the 19th century is because it's a great common moment for anybody who walks into the museum. Yeah. Everybody's from somewhere. Everybody's family yeah. came to this country for some reason. Um, and and it, it's a great icebreaker because we see a lot of interfaith audiences and we want people to feel comfortable and it's really great when you can start the conversation with, well, where did your ancestors come from and why? And sometimes people know and sometimes they don't, but it makes them want to know. And, um, and then it goes on to deal with, uh, Cincinnati Jewish history, which is very important. Um, there's, there's, they're really because of the influence of Isaac Mayer Wise, who mm -hmm. uh, founded the reform movement and brought this idea of a more modern 
type of Judaism to America, um, it, it impacted everything. And uh, so there's there's a, a lot about Cincinnati early Jewish history that that's part of the story that we tell. And then it goes on to the archaeology section and then the section about the Torah and then uh, life cycle events and holidays and all the objects that are associated with those. So it's a very rich artistic heritage because for every holiday there's, you know, for Hanukkah there's the Hanukkah menorah and they can be as ornate as a Baroque confection of <laughs> silver filigree or as simple as a modern Israeli stone base with iron spikes that you just stick the candles on right. it's, you know from the 1990s and and later so uh, there's there's every kind of artistic expression that's used to glorify uh these holidays so yeah it's it's, it's powerful it's nice you mentioned special exhibitions mm -hmm. and things do you have anything going on right now we do um right now we have a photo focus exhibition oh sure up. sure uh, and it is the work of Miles Wolf, who is a local photographer. Miles grew up in Cincinnati, and he's known for architectural pho photography. He's done lots of books about Cincinnati architecture, Mount Adams architecture. And he took it upon himself. He approached me actually before the 2016 photo focus mm -hmm. and said, I want to do this. I want to do it with the Skirball because you guys have the a lot of the archival material at the American Jewish Archives, which is on our campus and at the museum. And I want to recreate the congregations of Cincinnati going all the way back to the beginning. So the earliest congregation that was founded in Cincinnati was founded in 1821. And that was what is today Rockdale Temple, which is in Amberley Village now. But it started really with a cemetery. Oh, wow. So when, when the, there were a few Jews in Cincinnati in 1821, by 1900, there were about 15,000 Jews in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati by the middle of the 19th century, was the third largest city in America. So the Jewish population here by then was pretty big, but at the beginning it was just a few people. They would mm -hmm. gather in somebody's house or you know office and they might say a few prayers, but it wasn't a formal congregation. Mm -hmm. The only point at which you have to really create a formal congregation is when someone dies. Oh, wow. You have to buy a piece of property. You have to bury them. Yeah. So the oldest Jewish cemetery west of the Alleghenies is still standing in Cincinnati on Chestnut Street in, um, in uh, the West End. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that was the cemetery that became the cemetery for a congregation that today is in Amberley Village. But it started in downtown Cincinnati. And what Miles did was wherever he could. So the first iteration of this congregation was at the corner of 6th and 6th and Broadway. That soon became too small for them. And we don't have any photographs of it because mm -hmm. it was so early. But they built another synagogue on that same spot. They tore down the one that wasn't big enough and built another one. And what he is, what it was, and it was at the corner of Sixth and Broadway. Well, at the corner of Sixth and Broadway now, do you know what's there? Oh, geez, 
I'm trying to imagine. Starts with a P, ends with a G, has an ampersand in the middle. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. That makes sense because I was thinking of the other side of the street. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That so, like- so what he's done is he superimposed a photograph of the synagogue that was there over the building that stands on that corner so that we can see exactly where that synagogue was. Wow. And then he's layered it even further with photographs of people who would have been of that period. And as we get further in time, we start to see not just photographs of people who might have con- been in these congregations, but people who were. So he, he's done this with several different congregations, including Plum Street Temple, uh, Adith Israel Congregation, uh, and he's layered it, as I said, with amazing photographs gathered from people's personal collections and people are having so much fun like finding people they know in the photographs and seeing buildings that were a part of their their religious life who've lived here all their lives um, and then people like me who haven't lived there all their lives it happened in every city so that the the movement and the migration of the community from the center city to one at one end of the city to the another end mm-hmm. of the city then out to the suburbs it's a common story yeah and so everybody can relate to it, but it's particularly meaningful for native Cincinnatians. Such a clever use of photography and, and something we think of as a sort of documentary medium. Mm-hmm. But here it's being used to almost like create the documentation that didn't exist. Exactly. It's and, really clever. And it, it is really clever. And it, 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 sound, it could seem like it would be kitschy, but it's not. Yeah. It's so respectful. And the photography itself is so remarkable. I mean, when what we've done is next to the the, the finished image, which he he either calls a, a composition or a collage, mm-hmm. he we have text with thumbnails of the pictures he used to create mm-hmm. his composition, and he's so careful about the way he includes them, so that it it really does create an artistic composition you know and he actually demonstrated how he does it in one of our public programs and there was audible reaction to (laughs) seeing him you know move a figure or finish a figure or take something out because it it wasn't working with the composition of the image to really get the best effect and it was it was really very instructive for why, all of us. Why do you think it sort of got a reaction like that? Like, what was interesting? I think people. Well, I mean, he, he's using Photoshop and other right. other programs, and I I think that people didn't realize how much you could manipulate. Mm. Um, for instance, some of the photographs that he had of what is today. Southern Baptist Church, which is on Lexington Avenue in Avondale. That Mm. used to be Adith Israel. Well, the image that he had that he wanted to work with was taken fairly close to the building. So the building was sort of slanted back Mm. and he was able to make it come full forward by... Like he changed the perspective on the image. Totally changed the perspective and and has a really good eye. So he was able to do it without distorting the building. And you know, I guess for somebody who does that every day, it, it's nothing. But for us who, you know, basically all I do with my photos sometimes is crop them on my iPhone. <laughs> you know, I I was and others were just like, oh, 
that's you know it's amazing so he's able to make that image work for yeah. what he wanted to do with yeah it. just the magic of the technology mm-hmm. and, the, and the way you can combine yeah. things. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and just sense. did like two minutes you know like he's up right. there of course the first time i'm sure it took him longer but he's wor- worked <laughs> with that image a lot so yeah once you've yeah. done it a lot you get into a it's like you get good at it the more mm-hmm. you've done it well, I was wondering if you would like to go with me into the galleries now and we can look at some artwork and talk about it. I'd love to. Good. So we are now here in gallery 229. I still looked, even though I didn't need to, I knew the number. (laughs) This is a game of, this is like a recurring theme on the show is whether I will remember the gallery Gallery number number? we're standing in, but I know this one. (laughs) We use this one a lot. And we are standing in front of The Red Rooster by Marc Chagall. Um, It's probably one of our most famous paintings in the collection. um, And it's probably one of the most popular paintings in the collection. Mm And I picked uh, Chagall today to look at just because he is also one of the most, you know, famous Jewish artists and somebody who, who for whom that becomes a subject in the work, too. Yes, that's a lot. true. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. Well, this is, um, this is just such an iconic image. It, it really reflects so much of what Chagall is known for, these sort of strange juxtaposition of figures. Um, We have this marvelous red rooster occupying the left foreground and just at the at the very left of the image a a figure of a young man who has a harp so it could could only be David, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and then a a, a donkey-like figure playing a violin uh, leaning against a tree in the right foreground and another figure with a red hat sort of coming out from behind the tree and then above and over it all a, a figure of a man with a blue face and a green hat just <laughs> floating across the yeah. sky and this surreal kind of image approaching a, a, a sliver of moon and an upside down cow. Oh, so, you see that as a cow? Uh, maybe. Oh, see, I see oh, it as another no. chicken. Oh, you're right, a chicken. It's some kind of a chicken. Yeah. Yep, you're right, it's a chicken. I, I thought you'd, like, blown it wide no, open there for me a in a chicken. second. <laughs> it's often cows, but... Um, yeah, no, I was like, yeah. is that a cow? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think when you stay... If you were standing on the... Uh, we're standing very close to this painting mm-hmm. right now, but I think if you're standing on the other side of the painting, you would probably first... Obviously, the rooster yes. comes out first. That's. I mean, the rooster is most of the picture. It, it is red. <laughs> The rooster probably <laughs> occupies at least two-thirds of this picture, and it is bright, bright red. red. Yes. And then you would next probably see the maybe the man floating, because he's mm-hmm. pretty big, and yes. you know that blue face stands out. Then I think you'd probably pick out this tree. Mm-hmm. Well, this, it certainly balances the composition. Yeah. Um, the little... Balances the... The donkey man kind of, you know, he's he's still he's pretty prominent. Yeah, but you don't see him initially. As maybe not as right away. But right. then the, some of those other figures you mentioned are almost like little fun surprises exactly. that pop up. Like the harp player mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Like he's just in almost an outline, very kind of ghostly. Very, very much so. Almost it, as an afterthought. And yeah. yeah, I've had I've looked at this with a lot of people and, and you know, a lot of people do almost describe this red hat person as a ghost or something because huh. of the way I think maybe the color, the way they're sort of 
blending into the tree in the background mm. almost. But then that hat is what br- no- you notice them right away because that bright red, red hat, hat pops yeah. them out. Yeah. But it's all very not clear what's going exactly on. and yeah. that's the you know there, this was uh, Chagall was was working at a time when uh, surrealism was was really uh, prominent and there's definitely that sense of a dream world that yeah you know you, you when you wake up from a dream sometimes there are all these strange juxtapositions but they're they all come from some part of your consciousness and form something that never really could have happened. Uh, And for Chagall, there's always this incredible mix of his old world roots, his his youth in Vitebsk, uh, this, you know, little shtetl town in in what is in today Belarus. And he he is um, never really leaves it behind. Uh, And so a lot of these figures that, you know, the animals and the, the, the people that were part of that and often the architecture this doesn't appear in this work mm-hmm. but the buildings the houses i mean it's right out of fiddler on the roof there's yeah. no there's there, that that's very much the world that he grew up in and then he comes to paris and you know he changes his name from Siegel to chagall and he becomes this french uh dandy and spends and he, he's always sort of always sort of fighting between those two sides of who he is and yeah. it's really later in his life where he really embraces again his his childhood roots and a lot of his work uh, has a lot of uh, Jewish content but um, this is just a it, it's just so free and so dreamlike and and that figure over top with his polka dot pants and his <laughs> checked shirt but the sleeve it still feels like a prayer shawl oh you know the stripes yeah. on the sleeve of his right hand i still see a prayer shawl i still see that connection to his jewish past yeah well even like the way i i i always assume you know he comes from a smaller place with mm-hmm. like a lot you know the animals sort of harken back to like livestock exactly. and things that he probably would have grown up yes. with the donkey the rooster the chickens and you know all the of milk this cow all of them yeah. yes so absolutely. it's like you've got that going on but then you you're describing these patterns on his pants this like mm-hmm. the polka dots the checks you know it's it's like modernism right there yes, right exactly it's like old and new all at once yes happening. very much so and actually it's probably you know it's one of the first times i've looked this is probably you know i've looked at it the longest right now than i probably ever have and just noticing the way those little patterns sort of become a part of the rooster's tail here these mm-hmm. little polka dots and things that are kind of dancing around the rooster um which give a great sense of movement yes but also again it's this sort of like modern thing happening Mm -hmm. uh going on and it's not defined the edges are not crisp it's like he's he's just it's it's almost like it feels so instantaneous and 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 yet there are these fine details in the tree i just found this little bird yeah. Do you see this little bird just sort yeah. of nestled on a branch and hidden? Yeah, it's but very like there's lots of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're talking about that, the 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 way the it's almost like the rooster is sort of dissolving in mm-hmm. from you know it, again something sort of dreamlike where things just sort of fade in and out. Yeah, or almost like a stamp that you applied, but mm. you didn't apply equal pressure yeah, all the way around. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 that gives it a sense of immediacy that. 
you wouldn't wouldn't have if it felt more finished. Yes, definitely. So, but definitely. it is finished, of course. It's, right. But yeah, we got the signature down there. <laughs> <laughs> we know he want, he was done. Yeah, he he was was like, okay, we're done. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, that's, there's so much to say. I mean, it's really fun to get to look at this piece and have people try to almost do like a dream interpretation right. of it, you know. Right, and roosters look. appear in so many of his works that people have assigned a lot of different meanings to it, but none that he ever acknowledged. Right, so, right. So uh, it, it's almost better to just... Yeah, I think it, I, I I would hate to have those things locked down. It's, Correct. It's, it's less fun than if you you get to kind of come up with your own meaning. Mm -hmm. To mm -hmm. me, it doesn't. I guess in the way I'm not really you know when somebody starts telling you about your their dreams and you just go oh gosh you know you kind of roll your eyes like I'm not a, it's a, dream stories are interesting to mm -hmm. exactly one person usually the mm -hmm. person that they happen to but. I feel like I don't really worry too much about the meaning of this piece. I just sort of, it feels very musical. Yes. And, and probably because there's a literal musical instrument in it. But, yes. Um, it's about the tone and the feeling of it that I don't really get too wrapped up in the meaning of it. I don't really care about the meaning. Right. It, it's very musical. It's very rhythmic. It has yeah. it has a, a feeling of, uh, of freedom and expressiveness that, you know, you, it just makes you feel good. Um, yeah. and, and you can make your own story. Um, and, and I think that, that that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. Uh, and you, do, you hear the music, you see this, 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 this donkey figure strumming the, the, the strings of the, of the instrument and, and you see the bow in his hand and you just sort of feel the music and, and the, the rooster is dancing and the figure in the sky is is dancing and it's in and, and the other chicken or whatever that is in the sky is is dancing and there's a harp playing also so it it, it is a, a real experience for the senses and yeah. it's n no need to get bogged down in deeper levels of meaning it's just a it's just in you know a wonderful feast for the eyes and the ears and it almost becomes yeah. to me I, I i almost think of like because the pictures have so many, like there's sort of uh, different sections to the picture and like the the tree scene is almost its own thing. Mm. I, I almost feel like the, the bigger things around them, which don't really fit into the same sort of scale of space, yes. it almost becomes like, this is the song the donkey man is mm, playing mm, to me. Like we almost like the bubble. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's how I kind of read yeah, it sometimes. And that's totally, that, that's totally legit. Yeah. I see that as well. Uh, yeah. And, and of course the more you look, the more you see sort of the hint of a, a hillside here and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe even a little bit of a, sense of the of some buildings like you would see in so many of his works that yeah uh, and who knows it could have been there and he could, could have just painted it possibly, out at one point possibly, you know possibly. it's the, when you the more I, again I've, i don't think i've ever looked at that sort of background mm -hmm. as much and it, mm -hmm. it's really full of of texture and things that feels like he probably you know put it looks like it was very dark down here mm -hmm. at one point and he painted he over it, it. Yep. um yep. so it's like who knows what he could have but painted but you're right this there. whole section where the tree and the the donkey figure and the man either sneaking up on him right. or ghost like i'm not sure which yeah, there's yeah. something about his facial expression which tells me he's 
he's come to surprise. The yeah, yeah, it looks a little mischievous. But yeah. um, that could be a, a painting all of its own. The whole color, the the whole background is a different color. It has a, a very different feel to it. So it's in, they could be two separate images. Yeah, it's like really. It, the more I keep thinking about this um, collision of of the his you know youth and uh, the sort of modern Paris he's mm -hmm. living in today, I also you know I think about the composition down here and the way we have this you know things kind of going off the picture plane, and then you have the man at the top whose body he's flying, but he's also like touching the top of the picture plane in mm -hmm. a way that is very like modern. Very modern. That makes us think of the the picture itself. Yes, you but know? It, it also unifies. I mean, it, it serves mm -hmm. to Crosses. bring the two sides of the painting together very successfully. Yeah. He, he's the bridge between these two parts of the image. Yeah, because um, his hand is, is reaching out and almost mm -hmm. touching that tree. And then even the fingers are kind of mimicking the, the shapes shape of, of the, the tree. tree the, the, yes, the leaves. Yes, yeah. exactly. Interesting. Well, I kind of thought, you know, since we're, we're talking about Chagall, we also have this jug here mm. um, that, it, you know, I, that's something a lot of artists were working in multiple mediums and, yes. you know, not only yes. making paintings, but also experimenting with ceramics. And so mm -hmm. we have this piece that's called Jug Flight into Egypt. Um, and one of the things we were talking about, I thought it was kind of funny as I was looking at it, we were talking about him as a Jewish artist. And then here he is telling the, the Christian Christmas story. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, any, any artist who who lived as long as Chagall did and and studied as much as Chagall did you can't really be an artist or an art historian without knowing all of the bible stories right, old right, and new testament right. so he would he would certainly know this story from many many versions of it throughout the history of art but what he's done here again is so typical of this you know the way that um, the way that the that Mary is is cradling her family and you know again it's this sort of very surrealistic figure of a woman she doesn't have any bones it's all yeah no she's it's very fluid all fluid and um and 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 it's it's almost like Henry Moorish and yeah that's a great way, way of describing the shapes created yeah the shapes they're so they're so abstract, but as you come around, you see a very well-defined head of of yet another donkey. Right. And and then this house, you know, which is so reminiscent of the imagery of his the little village houses of mm -hmm. Vitebsk, and um, and he he's used the shape of the the pot to be able to create these figures in just the way that he has to so that it looks like they were always part of it you know yeah. it has a a real energy that uh that is is wonderful and there's nothing um symmetrical about this oh more buildings over here on this side oh, really? and, and a wonderful tree yes uh, rooftops and on the back. Yeah, it's um, a little hard to see back here. Mm -hmm. We have the cases kind of almost up against a wall, so right. you can you can right. see all of it, but it's a little challenging to see the backside. Of but but it it moves in a you know the pot is not symmetrical, and it, it as as the figures and the and the donkey are moving around, you just sort of 
can continue their path up this hill and then <laughs> back around and down to the other side. So it's it's it ha has so much movement and and so much um, rhythmic pattern to it that is is really spectacular. When you were describing them as like very fluid, I just it's something a connection I never thought about again in making a pitcher or a jug here. Of, of, <laughs> it's of, more of, fluid. Yeah, it's like exactly. It's <laughs> very appropriate that you have yeah. this very fluid shape. And I mean, yeah. I can't imagine anyone actually ever using this as a real as a real you know pitcher or right. it's, it looks like it probably weighs a ton yes. <laughs> to pick that yes. thing up. Yes, I can't imagine you you know pouring a glass of water for anyone from this. I agree. But it is interesting mm -hmm. that that idea of fluidity and water, mm -hmm. I think, made it into the design in, in that way you're describing. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, talking about flight and movement, that's another thing, too. There's definitely a real, you know, if we were talking about people escaping. Right. Or, or, There's urgency to this. And yeah. certainly Chagall would have made the connection between the escape that Mary and Jesus had to to make from uh, from Herod to his own having to flee uh, Europe to escape uh, to escape Hitler, so this was something that would have been part of his experience. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a that's a good point. That's like uh, you know those stories of escaping and fleeing. Mm -hmm. You know that that it reminds me of the way like Exodus and is used often in in sort of African American stories to yes. like relate to escaping slavery yes. and like these stories translate from you know one time period to another exactly and that's you know really why the bible is still the best book ever written because there's everything in it has a has a, a reference to today yeah i mean yeah. there's nothing you can't connect to our own lives and what we're experiencing in modern in the modern world and uh, this was true for artists throughout their working lives and they certainly knew uh all of the history of art and the many renditions of this subject by artists yeah. ranging from medieval times all the way to the modern era. So. Right. And I feel like this is such a unique spin on, I mean, if you, if you walked into this room and did not read the label, I don't know if you would necessarily... Probably not. Probably not pick mm -hmm. up on this specific subject. biblical tale. Mm -hmm. You know, you probably would it feels much more in line with other Chagall work yes. and just being like, oh yeah, it's got, you know, these kind of weird dreamy figures and they're Correct. floating. I don't know if you would really lock it down to that. And that's okay. Yeah. Oh, and there's another donkey that he's drawn that isn't three-dimensional on the back as well, coming out of the rooftop of yeah. the house. So, <laughs> But it is, it is fun, actually. I mean, one of the things I love about having it here is next to the painting is you get to sort of see how he thought about space mm -hmm. in that way you know the the painting is kind of we create the space ourselves because it doesn't have a real sense of actual space so mm -hmm. it, it becomes very dreamlike and it's interesting because here when he has to work with something so material so plastic so like this is real space it still actually translates into that dreamlike space it yes. doesn't feel real right and yeah. again it's because he's manipulated the the object to his will yeah um yeah. not to the you know the prescribed shape that a vessel should have <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i'm kind of wanting to follow these little little squares around i think that's something yeah. else interesting they don't continue they just go around the front. front. Yes, it's almost like they're little windows that are, haven't been cut out. 
yeah, I don't know like if uh, how to read them, like if they're just sort of a, a kind of decoration almost. Mm. And like he just maybe felt like, oh, it needs a little something yeah. up here. <laughs> like, I don't know. It is so decorative. I mean, he, he's done so much with little uh, sketches of tree forms and some of them are painted on and some of them are etched into the clay. Um, yeah. Uh, the, now, over here, there is a window, mm -hmm. four panes, and he has sort of gouged those out, So it's and it has shutters, that, that window. So he maybe what he was thinking up there, but just ended up leaving them as decorative. Yeah. This, this side that we're on now and looking um, at these leaves here, mm -hmm. you were kind of talking about parts that are painted in, parts mm -hmm. that are etched away. And, mm -hmm. and it's just, it reminds me again of the painting where we have things like the rooster, which are more fully defined. And then you have these little outliney figures behind them. And it's like you have two sort of simultaneous layers of existence yes. happening at once almost you have yes. this like one set of leaves that look like this and then another set of leaves and it almost feels like we're looking at two two times existing mm. at once almost or yes. something it's it's really yes. interesting i mean he he's done a remarkable job with with the the sense the, the three-dimensionality here i mean this this head of the donkey um is emerges from from the pot, it's it's fully three dimensional, but he's still given us it, the outline of the ears that are more you know more flattened to the yeah they're just back on the pot but, itself. But when you yeah. stand away from the pot far enough, it, it's very obvious that those are the ears. Right, right. And yeah. it's only when you come close that you see that they're not even attached to the yeah <laughs> to the head. You know, so. Yeah, it's a really great way of playing yeah. with that mm -hmm. design and, and, and three dimension versus two yeah. dimension. And still really the fun. sketch of, of where the jaw of the the jaw of the donkey where he drew it in and then when he actually sculpted the three dimensional head, it doesn't quite come to that place yeah. on the yeah. So it's very freeform. It's not you know, again it has it's finished but unfinished. It's it's raw. It, it it has a sensibility about it that is is not polished. Yeah. A lot of people get really hung up on wanting, you know, that being kind of perfectionist and wanting that first thing mm. they do to be perfect. And I think this is a great um, example of, of somebody who's not working in that kind of mm -hmm. precious way, who is um, letting parts of the process maybe show through that other artists might have gotten yes. rid of. So yes. I kind of wonder if that original, like those ears we were looking at were maybe part of a sketch or something as mm -hmm. he was working on the pot. Maybe he sort of went, oh, let's, maybe I'll, the donkey will be over here or the horse or whatever. And then as he's working on it, he sort of starts working three-dimensionally and then kind of goes, no, I like that with right. that. And, and, and clay is such a great material for that because, of course, if he wants to get rid of something, it's very easy to exactly. smush it on but back in. But he didn't. And, and yeah. again, over here with uh, Mary's hair, that uh, you know, so much of her hair is very three-dimensional and it sort of on one mm -hmm. side covers, uh, covers, her, covers uh, the baby Jesus and... On the other side, it's become part of the background of the pot. So Yeah. Well, thank you so much for looking at these pieces with me today. My pleasure. What fun.
Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are The Fabric of India, Life, Jillian Waring, and Collecting Calligraphy, Arts of the Islamic World. Join us on Sunday, December 23rd at 3 p.m. for a free gallery experience that looks at holidays around the world. Compare and contrast how holidays are celebrated in the East, West, North, and South. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and even join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofrand Musicale by Bacalao. And like always, please rate and review us. It always helps other people find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. Music